Started it with the threes, ended it with the fours. I am back on the Talking TV podcast, joined once again by Luke of Luke Reviews. We are ending it talking about a movie that I feel like both of us have very much been looking forward to. This is just this movie just fits perfectly right in our wheelhouse. John Wick Chapter Four, as well as we will be giving a little preview about the debut of Succession Season Four, which premieres tonight. By the time this episode goes up on Spotify tomorrow, it will have already aired. I will have already put out a reaction to it as well. Two of our favorite things to talk about. I couldn't be more excited to have you on, Luke, and we'll all be covered on today's episode of the Talking TV Podcast. What is going on, people? We are recording again in our normal Sunday morning slot. I am, of course, down the movie nerd, and I'm joined once again by Luke of Luke Reviews. And Luke, like, this weekend is just, it's Christmas to us. It's Christmas 2.0. Like, we are just beyond excited. We get the return of our boy, John Wick. Waiting. I was doing the math there because John Wick famously, I, you know, it's funny. I, I kept saying this over and over again over the last couple of years where I'm like, this is, I'm like, this is it. We've got it. All the movies were delayed because of COVID. We got them all. And then I was like, shit, there's one more. Shit, there's a Batman. Oh, yeah, there's another Fast and Furious movie. And I now think that I can officially say that this one is the last of the movies that were delayed because of COVID. John Wick, Chapter 4, no subtitle this time, which was originally set to premiere in March of 2021, was delayed a year so that it wouldn't interfere with The Matrix, and then was delayed another year in order to not interfere with something else that was supposed to come out last year that I wasn't remembering right now, but it's back and it's just it's it's glorious, man. All the action, all the amazing stunt work that made that that made Keanu Reeves and made this now franchise a staple. I mean, Luke, break it down for me. What, 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 when was the first time that you watched John Wick and realized that it was going to be like one of your absolute favorite things ever? You know, people keep asking, like you said, if the movies are back, and I haven't really had an answer. But yeah, I'm thinking the movies are back, and this month proves it. Very much so. Uh, no, with John Wick, I watched them all in 2019 and lead up to the third one. That was year one of Luke Reviews. I was discovering many new films, John Wick, one of them. And uh, I thought they were really great. And I rewatched them this year. I think they're equally great. But uh, this one takes it up a half star for me. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's the, the, this one takes it up a whole notch in length as well, you know, because people, again, they, they, they really knew what they had going for them because they put, they clocked this one up to a whopping three hours long. I'm like, oh boy, when, when franchises are getting to that point, you know that they're, that they are rock solid in people's minds. Yeah. I remember, I, I still remember when this movie, when the first one of these movies came out, because I, I think this is actually the first time that we've ever covered a John Wick movie on the podcast. You know, we did, uh, Chris and I did Nobody back in uh, 2021, which was written by the same guy that wrote this movie, Derek, and kind of conceived of the whole idea for this franchise begin with Derek Kolstad, which famously starred Bob Odenkirk and also was the reason what was the thing that saved his life when he had his heart attack on the set of Better Call Saul he even attributed uh, to that movie and because of how in shape he was and I mean just in terms of like being a complete visionary like the, the idea that Derek Kolstad has this idea for this entire 
underground like assassin world that's like basically like the, the several like societies stacked upon societies of like underground Illuminati-esque figures that like only dwell within like the upper echelon the high elite of New York that have like this the, the, this economic system that exists outside of the foundation of the current economic system where they just have all the money and the resources of the world to fund these hordes of assassins and what what, what was interesting to me is it's like I remember back in 2013 uh, Keanu Reeves was pretty much on the last legs of whatever was left of his career at that point. You know, he kind of, the, 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 the late two thousands and early 2010s were not kind to him, uh, career wise. And I remember seeing the, the trailer for this movie called 47 Ronin, which I thought looked like the stupidest thing ever. And in hindsight, I realized it was kind of the precursor because in, in, in a strange way, I feel like that's the movie that proved that Keanu could do this again, because next thing you know, you have. Uh, Derek Kolstad writing this script. You have his former stuntman on The Matrix, Chad Stahelski, being being uh, tasked to direct this for Lionsgate. The first one's got a very, very low budget and could not have a more simpler premise, which is a bunch of guys kill this legendary hitman's dog without realizing who he is. Next thing you know, he's going to return to the world that he left behind in order to make this life with his now past wife and just raise all hell, and which is going to kick off this series of events that is going to throw this entire underworld into disarray. And I, I, I mean, you, you couldn't have it, it's it's kind of the Breaking Bad premise where you're like you you have just a premise that is almost impossible to fuck up, and and that's exactly what they did. And and I mean, it, and now with every subsequent sequel, it's it's like that. It's weird because it's like the stories of the stories, quote unquote, of these movies have arguably gotten worse and worse with each sequel. But, like, because the action has been upped so crazily with each one, like, it, it really, it doesn't even matter. And so uh, I, I watched the first one, was blown away by it. I watched two in theaters. Three I actually did not watch in theaters because I, I was actually recovering from from a little stint that I had back in 2019 that I know I've talked about on this show before. And um, what's it called? And so I watched that online, but it was still, it was just as breathtaking. And, again, like, it, it, I'm always torn because I'm, like, I, I, again, I am such a such a story fiend. So even when the story is clearly not supposed to be the focus, like I still can't help focusing, and my brain just can't help thinking about it. Where I'm like, there's so many things that are happening that 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 don't make sense at all, like at all. But like the stunt work is just, it's just, it's so amazing. And like my appreciation for the choreography and the gun fu, as they've literally come to call it, that's what Stahelski. And David Leach, who co-directed the first one and has gone off to have an incredible career of his own, directing one of our favorite movies of last year, Bullet Train, to name a few, uh, have, have come to call it. It's just, it's true. It truly has become a, a phenomenon, to say the least. So, I mean, just so, I, I mean, you talked about watching it. Like, what is it about? I mean, I'm, you know, you're an action fiend, but like, what is it about these movies that just make them just so special and so excellent and so iconic? I think it's maybe just like, how real the action feels like you get not Keanu does most of his stunts. I think that helps a lot, but it's all choreographed to perfection by probably like a team of a hundred people. Like, but it never feels like you're watching the same action scene twice. It, they always throw something in there. Even if it's like one extended action sequence, they, they move places, they use different guns or they, they throw Donnie Yen in there, a, a blind guy, which makes it has a whole nother level of, uh, epicness uh but yeah like you said the first movie is just like a simple premise they a guy kill his dog he's out for revenge and I, I was explaining to my friend like i told him oh yeah i saw john wick this week he's like oh, what are they actually about and like when the first one they kill his dog and he goes for revenge the second one he has they to blow up his house and, and, and they, they, <laughs> they has to, he has to finish a debt 
third one, everyone wants to f- kill him. And the fourth one, he's fighting for his freedom, but everyone still wants to kill him. <laughs> it's simple enough. But then, yeah. then you, every movie, they uh, deepen the lore even more, like add more, you m- learn more about, about the high table, the the different continentals in, in each uh, major city, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite. I think my favorite stuff is in the first movie where he's like, I need a dinner reservation for 12 people or whatever it is. And it's just little things like that. And uh, and yeah, it's a great world. Everyone seems to be either an assassin or dancing in a nightclub. Pretty um, much. I think that, that's the only choice of character you have in these. Yep. And uh, yeah, the story isn't as important if the right. action is flowing it forward. I think the third one maybe got a little too deep into yeah. the world without uh being as interesting but like the first 40 minutes of that movie is some of the best stuff in any action movie ever absolutely uh, but this one this one just turned up the action up uh, the the runtime is absolutely justified there's so many scenes it, it doesn't feel like three hours to me yeah personally but uh yeah it's just I'll get into my thoughts on on the runtime just in general, but yeah, like it's like you said, it, it's such it, it's such for lack of a better word, old school storytelling and filmmaking. Where again, just keep it simple. It's it's something that just uh, so many just modern filmmakers in Hollywood just have seemed to have lost the ability to do, which is just to keep it simple. As long as your premise is simple. And, and, and relatable, the audience will go along with it. And you could throw as much world building and myth making and crazy stuff. And like I said, just, just the, the construction and the thought that is put into again, it's like the, the, these these idiot executives over at Disney and Warner that are trying to shove count, countless amounts of superhero content down our throats without actually understanding why everybody is losing interest and nobody cares could honestly take a take a note from from this franchise book because the whole thing is that. Um, what's it called? At the end of the day, you could always relate to Wick as as ridiculous and over the top and crazy and slightly nonsensical the action gets. It's like it's the reason why people love action movies and it's the reason why people will keep coming back to watch them because it's it's uh, as cool as 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 the continental stuff is. That's all gravy, you know. And honestly, I think that the whole idea of doing spinoffs, and I know they had uh, that they've been working on on a, on a TV show version of the Continental. I think that's cool, but like you're you're never gonna capture the magic because at the end of the day, you know, people can say it's Keanu, and yeah, Keanu's relatable, but no, it's Wick, and it's the fact that it's like yeah, at the end of the day, he's a dude who's lost everything and is just trying to you know enjoy his retired life, and this this world for whatever reason just will not let him. So, and uh, as these movies constantly prove time and time again, this is what happens when you poke the sleeping bear; it will bite back. And it will come for everything that you have and your mother. And, and, and it just, oh man. Like, so you have one. And that's, like I said, that's your introduction to the world, right? That's setting you up and everything. Two, you further deepen it. You know, that's when you get into, like, the idea of, like, okay, there's other continentals out there. There's other, like, uh, they, you know, they, they get into the whole idea of, like, the debts with the coins and everything. I guess they didn't know that they were going to have such a successful first movie. So they kind of... Right, that's what always happens, They didn't right? prepare for that. But, so. but, but again, like, it, it wasn't necessary because you always see this. You always see this time and time again where the, again, it's, again, the mistake that everybody is making now is everybody is making things that are setting up a franchise and how... Half the time that results in like these half army of the dead. Thank you. Uh, that that, that results in these half rebel moon in a few months. (laughs) Oh man, I don't know why they're both Zack Snyder, but I was about to say, I'm like, I'm like, is there a Snyder theme going on there? Yeah, it's it's, like I said, it's you have all of these franchises that are just like setting up that, that have these movies that are like designed to be like TV shows, but like the problem there is that. 
like we, we, we don't get one satisfying overall one viewing experience. And so whenever somebody says like, yeah, the, they, they weren't expecting to, for it to be as successful as it is. That's a good thing, you know? Uh, first of all, to temper expectations because in this business and in this industry, you never know what's going to hit. And also, when it does hit and is as big as it is, it's a surprise usually, but in a good way. Because as long as you have the creative team that knows what they're doing, which this is one that definitely knows what they're doing, you will continue to have good products and you will continue to have great entertaining experiences overall. It's like, this is just the stuff that it's like, I wish that Hollywood would just learn to understand, you know? And it's like... Um, and like, if you're just talking about the creative team as well, I think the thing also that separates this from something like a mission impossible, which is like, or like pretty much any one of the action franchises that Tom Cruise does is that like, these are people who got their start in indie film, you know, like, like Stahelski and David Leach, who, who both worked for years as, as Keanu stuntmen. And so they learned to understand the business and you have uh, the cinematographer for all these movies is Dan Lawson who shot um who shot uh Guillermo, a lot of Guillermo del Toro's movies he shot the last couple you have uh Derek Kolstad the screenwriter who basically got his start in like super tiny indies before um what's it called before um what's it called before getting uh John Wick you have all of these people who ultimately have have been around the industry for years have understood it have learned to understand what works and what doesn't and so you ultimate, and also, like I said, working within limited budgets, which is also a tremendous, a tremendous help as well. You know, keeping it practical, not, not having this heavy reliance on CG, you know, understanding the idea the, the, that, that what interests people about these come from story, not from spectacle. Ultimately, the spectacle is second, and that's what makes it so satisfying when we get it. And then, like I said, they just ultimately get bigger and bigger and bigger with each movie, but they never lose sight or lose focus. So. That, that's us kind of talking about the franchise in general. Let's talk about this movie itself. So like you said, so after the events of the last one, John was ultimately betrayed by Winston in order to potentially get his seat back at the high table. That is shown to ultimately not really have worked as we are introduced to the latest in a line of, you know, villain figures, the Marquis de Gramont, played by Bill Skarsgård, who once again places a giant hit out on uh, on Wick once again, as Wick is intent on, uh, uh, like I said, on taking his revenge on the high table. For, uh, for for betraying him, but once again is offered a chance to earn his freedom back, uh, but not before ultimately uh, the, the Marquis commissions an old friend of his from his past portrayed by Donnie Yen to help take him out. And like I said, it just leads to, like I said, even more set pieces, even more shenanigans, even more crazy stunts. There's literally a point, uh, an action set piece sequence involving a staircase that is simultaneously one of the greatest and most hilarious things I've ever seen because it's just like they absolutely know what they're doing in terms of just constantly knocking him down and him getting back up again. And uh, like they're literally playing around with the audience where we're like, okay, we know that you know that this is ridiculous, that Wick should be dead by this point with the amount of bullets that he's taken. I think there's even a point like when they get to the duel at the end when he's taken off all of his clothes and you can just hear all the bullets just ricocheting off and rolling off and hitting the ground. It, it's great stuff. It's great. So Luke, your, your general thoughts on this one overall. I would, the first thing I wrote in my review was stairs. Lots so of many stairs. stairs. Uh, th that was sensational. It, it reminded me of Kung Fu Panda, if anything. <laughs> and, uh, Winston Duke. No, not Winston Duke. Uh, Ian McShane, Ian McShane. Is, in, is in both of these. Yes. Uh, Ian McShane yeah. in stairs. I was not expecting those two, though, that comparison, but I love it. Uh, yeah, I just had a, an amazing time. Uh, action delivered like every, everyone was hyping it up. I thought, mm, is it really that good? But it's, jo it's John Wick. It has to yeah, be that it good. Has to be. Um, it has to be. The movie's it's never back. Happened. John Wick is back. Uh, and it delivered. Like I said, it's my favorite of the franchise. It's my favorite of the year so far. 
And uh, like I mentioned before we started, all my favorites of the year are sequels, but they're alarmingly high numbers of sequels. I have John Wick 4, Rock, Rocky 9, <laughs> uh, and the Scream 6. Yeah. So, uh, and every year it's going to get higher. Like, yeah. As you look at the upcoming years ago. Yeah. Fast it's it's X, not, it's not even 11. just that they're sequels. It's that they're like a, a ridiculous amount of sequels, like four, like like nine. Like we have nine Rocky movies now. Nine. I know the creative movies are technically like their own thing, but like, come on, you know? But, they, but they're very good. And if, yeah. The franchise that has the fourth movie as their best one is a good sign. If they're, if it is their last, I'll be absolutely fine with that. Right. Uh, I know well, there was we'll, a plan for a fifth, but. I don't know how they're gonna do that. Well, we'll, but, uh, we'll get to that when we cover the big spoiler at the end, which I don't think yeah. anybody saw coming. And like I no. said, it's once again a tribute, a, a tribute to them that the fact that they can pull off something like that in the age of the internet and surprisingly not have it spoiled, which I'm actually like really happy about. Uh, my my big thing going into this movie and kind of the theme overall of this movie that I think I don't necessarily know if this sets this above the sequels. I still gotta figure out. I'm still trying to figure out like where I would rank each of the sequels. One is still definitively the best, but I gotta look back and figure out like which one I like more because two. The thing about two is two was I think the least successful story, but the the action of that movie at the time when I watched it at theaters was just like that. That had been unlike anything that I had ever seen before. When you just have the the, the sequence that I always come back to is the sequence between him and Common, where they're shooting at each other back and forth, oh, just yeah. like this crowded hallway with the silencers, and nobody knows what's going on. I'm like, this is absolutely insane. But the thing that I appreciated about this one is this one was really dealing with mortality and finality, and kind of I feel like really bringing it back to exactly you know focusing it on what John's mission was, you know, because I feel like you have Ian McShane as his character that in a weird way like even though we, again he always has an agenda and he's always like for himself has always kind of like been in john's corner and like has had this like old friendship with john and you know that's kind of been established since the first one and that kind of ties into ian mcshane's career in general as being this legacy character actor that is just so well known like you always recognize his voice but you never really like know who he is and this is like what really makes it, it turns him into ian mcshane the superstar and kind of you know reminding john it's like you know you can kill and drop as many bodies as you possibly want but like at the end of the day you got to remember what you're doing this for uh, you know remember what what remember you got out once you can do it again you know and there's always kind of this reminder and like you see it on keanu's face and i feel like it ties into keanu as well where again it just ties into this idea of the aging movie star and the fact that like we don't really have movie stars anymore and all of our movie stars that we have left are getting old. I was literally talking about this to my friend the other day. I'm like, all of these movie stars that have been such a big part of our lives for generations, like Tom Cruise is 61. Um, is 61 this year. Brad Pitt is 60. Keanu Reeves is 60 next year. Downey Jr., two more years, is 60. These guys are getting old. And like the fact that they are still doing like they're not playing aging parts they're still playing some iteration of characters they've been playing you know um tom cruise has been playing ethan hunt for 30 years now you know keanu reeves has been playing john wick for almost 10 years now and we're two only two years ago returned to play neo a character that he hadn't played in almost 20 years at that point you know like these guys have been around forever and i like the idea that this movie is finally starting to address that address the idea of mortality address the idea of like legacy and what it is that you're doing it for you know because he starts this movie once again just yet on another quest for revenge which seemingly has driven the last couple you know it's always been about revenge first it's his dog then it's his house then you know it's just the entire world is coming after him and it's just a matter of survival now it's the fact that again that the world that he entrusted originally has seemingly screwed him over again 
and I and and the movie, you know, again with Ian McShane and Lawrence Fishburne and all these other guys that are and all these other legacy figures that are there, they're all kind of there to remind him. You know, it's like, yeah, you you can keep being top dog, but at the end of the day, you got to have a reason to do it. You know, and I and I really like that. I, I like that that there was kind of like that underlying threat, and I think it ties into probably. And fuck it, I'm just gonna spoil it now. I think that's why the decision to kill him at the end was great and like honestly a really really touching heartfelt like really nice little bow tie on this you know I talk all the time you know the, the idea of like you know the idea of the perfect trilogy you know the idea about how each one of those you know kind of fits into the perfect three-act structure and while three I, I kind of scratched my head and questioned like um are, are, are they sure they they want to do another one after this like can they just be done and after yeah, watching it felt like, like that if they continue doing that one it could be stretched out and not yes. feel as and poignant. not feel as special and not feel as poignant and so i but but little did i know again it was all setting up for this one and and that it, whether they intended for this to be the last one when they were writing three and when they were going to this one i don't know but whatever whatever the case is it, w- it was the right call and like I said, I, I thought I thought it was like I said, it was a perfect bow tie on 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 a really really well done franchise and a really well done twenty uh, first century action icon. I don't know what 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 do you think? It, it's it, I feel like as as we're talking about this, I'm reminding once again of what happened two years ago in No Time to Die when they made the decision to kill off Daniel Craig's Bond the first time that we'd ever seen any iteration of Bond killed off on screen. And even though we know there will be future iterations of Bond, like I don't know what what do you think about the decision to kill Wick at, at the end of this one? I, I like how you mentioned the Bond comparison because I think. Daniel Craig's always stood out to me as the one that has actual character to him. The other ones, maybe right. Lazenby a little bit, but that's only one movie. The rest of them are just like a template. So it felt right to kill off Craig's version uh, with Wick. I thought I thought it was also a very bold, but a very good decision because I thought he's earned his freedom and now he can join his wife like yeah. or whatever. A little bit yeah. corny, but maybe, maybe a little bit corny is what you need. Yeah. Yeah. In the John Wick. Absolutely. Yeah. Chris and I talk all the time about like what is quote unquote like acceptable corny versus what isn't. And the thing that I always come to, I'm like, it works if it works for the story, if it works with the character, you know? And again, as, as stiff as Keanu is in these movies and as much as we can make yeah. fun of the one liners, which it's like, it's, it's like. Yeah, it's but it it's Keanu. Keanu. So, like, you, you can't be mad at this point. It's funny. Like, I, I, I remember having this conversation all the time with my friends in the Gap back, in, back, in, back during the pandemic. We're like, Keanu Reeves can't act for shit, but he's such a great guy. We can't help but love him. You know, again, it's all this is no secret. All the behind the scenes stories about just like what a great guy he is and how giving and how caring and just generous of a person he is and all that. It shines through in his performances. And even though, like I said, he he has he's again, he's not the best actor, quote unquote. He's worked with some good. He's had the great fortune in Hollywood of working with people who understand how to use him, which is very, very rare. And like I said, and the fact that it's allowed for him to have this long gestating career over the last four decades that he has been a part of our lives. You know, like I said, he really came to prominence in the nineties with action movies, like speed in the matrix, you know, he was just so endearing. And then the early two thousands, you know, with the matrix. And then that kind of went, you know, kind of, I feel like Constantine was kind of like the last high point and it kind of petered off in like the late two thousands and early 2010s with some kind of just bad hits, but John wick brought him right back. And like I said, he's been, he's, he's become like another permanent staple of, of the pop culture lexicon, you know, with, you know, with his little 
cameos and different things like Toy Story 4 and Always Be My Maybe and uh, what's it called? And, you know, and all the video games. I, I, I know like he was pretty much like a major selling point of that cyberpunk game that I know kind of fell apart afterwards. But yeah, it's just people love Keanu just in general as an icon. They love him. They really enjoy him. They love how generous of a person he is. And like I said, it shines through. And I just love the juxtaposition of such this kind, generous, like really caring person be playing this ultimate just killing machine like that like like the I, i've lost track at this point of the amount of bodies that john has dropped but again like it shows in the character where it, again the, it, it works because the character of wick is ultimately a gentle person you can ultimately tell that this is a person who has probably never again like you really yeah, you, you never really know much about Wick. Like, you're told about him, but it's almost like a Joker thing where it's like you never know what could be true and what could not be, you know? And, like, you always get the sense that he is this person who has never really had much of a choice in, in his life, ultimately, in, in the choices and the directions where he was pushed in his life. And so the fact that you get... Um, what's it called? The, the fact that, like I said, you have this brilliant juxtaposition of this really, like, seemingly gentle soul who just wants nothing but a peaceful, quiet life mixed with just the most lethal killer on the planet, I think provides just the, the perfect juxtaposition that you need for this franchise and for that character and ultimately allows you to root for him because as this world just throws, like, more and more actual monsters at him, you know? It, it, it works. It always allows you to root for him as well. And I think that's what makes this one even more interesting because I think this is the first one where other than, you know, Wick and his allies on one side, all the bad guys on the other side, you have for the first time in a while, like, other characters who are a little bit more morally gray, like the Donnie Yen character, like the Shamir Anderson character, the nobody character, who, again, is introduced as somebody who's only being in there for the money, but you can tell it's kind of like a representation of, like, for lack of a better word, the working class assassin, where he's just in it for the money. He doesn't care about who his targets are, but at the same time, he does kind of, like, have this moral foundry, you know? And I like the juxtaposition against, like, kind of, you know, the whole hoity-toity, Illuminati-esque, you know, very old money, pretentious uh, character of the Marquis with the Bill, the Bill Skarsgård character you know it, it's just it's so well done like i said these these writers these these crafters they know exactly what they are doing they know exactly what kind of a how to present everything you know and again i love the little uh celebrity inserts that they put into each one of these movies you know obviously like i said the first one yet ian mcshane and lance reddick who have now become staples of this franchise of rest in peace also to lance reddick as well talk about something that nobody saw coming at all you know he'd already been in like three or four things that i'd seen just this year like, just a, a death that just came as an absolute shock to all of us, you know? And the first one had, you know, like, Staples, you know, it had, like, John Leguizamo, and it had um, Alfie Allen, fresh, you know, who was right in the middle of Game of Thrones as the villain, and it had Michael Nykvist, um, again, leg legacy in the in the Norwegian crime circuit, and Adrian Palicki, and uh, Dave Patrick Kelly, and all of these, like I said, these action icons. And then, two, you bring in Common, and then three, uh, you bring in the, um, what's it called, the Raid guys, and you bring in um, Asia Kate Dillon from Billions, and uh, there's, and, and um, oh, and I'm almost forgetting, and they also bring back Lawrence Fishburne, and so you have a little, like, Matrix reunion, and Fishburne is just there to chew scenery, like it's a piece of meat, like I said, I, I know I've brought I've never seen a man on. have more fun with a role. Like, than, seriously, than like, every, every minute that he's on screen, I'm just like, th this is why, I'm like, this is why Fishburne is one of the greats. Tarantino called Fishburne the greatest actor of his, of his generation, and, and I fully and wholeheartedly agree. Like, it's just, he's just having so much fun. And this one, like I said, I mean, the celebrities that they bring in for this one, like I said, like Donnie Yen, Scott Adkins, Hiroyuki Sonata, Clancy Brown, like the, the list just keeps going on and on and on. So like, but here's the thing though, I think I screwed up because I thought that Scott Adkins played Bill Skarsgård's right-hand man, and I was very wrong because he plays that weird like German guy with the fat suit and the golden teeth 
who like is almost in competition with Wick to see like how long he can last, how many hits he can take, how many uh, elevated platforms he can drop off before he finally dies with the most ridiculous over-the-top accent and he's always laughing. Like I didn't even realize that was Scott Adkins underneath that. It was kind of insane just in general. What are your thoughts on like all, all of like the different celebrities that they that they put into these movies over the course of the last uh, nine years of, the, of these movies? I think it just goes to show how much the franchise has grown in popularity, how many people love it. Uh, they can they can get like a Halle Berry to show up with her two dogs. They can get Braun from Game of Thrones exactly. as well to bite his finger off or whatever happened to him with the dog. Uh, yeah. yeah, this one this one had the most supporting characters, I guess. Yep. And they were all just fantastic. Like yeah. you said, the, the Scott Atkins character. I don't, I don't know who Scott Atkins is, but I know he doesn't look like Scott that. Atkins is so. a very very well-known figure in the in what I like to call the underground martial arts movie movement but as far as his mainstream uh appearances go he famously did the uh stunt work for uh, his, his big claim to uh mainstream fame came in when he did the stunt work for uh unfortunately the the, the Deadpool stand-in at the end of uh, the much maligned X-Men Origins Wolverine uh that was him doing the stunt work he also was um Jacqueline Van Damme's number two in uh, expendable and expendables two as well, and 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 the and also was one of the was what was uh, one of the many many sidekicks to Matt Mickelson's character in Doctor Strange. But the biggest thing is that a lot of people have been uh, silently campaigning and petitioning for him to take over the part of either of a superhero, either a Wolverine or a Batman. But most, but but uh, for me, I'm like it's mostly just because of the physicality, and I get it why. But I think this was the first instance where I actually saw him like, oh no, he can actually act. Yeah, and that poker scene, I, I I almost wanted to like give them a round of applause for the poker scene because they didn't give the protagonist the best cards, but they still gave a guy a royal flush. So I was like, yes. nope, you're yep. not off the hook completely. Yeah, uh, not not completely. And then other supporting characters, uh, I forget his name, but he was also in Bullet Train. Hiroyuki Sanada, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, almost, I almost forgot about him. But like the minute that they introduced him, I'm like, there's no way in hell that we don't get a fight between him and Donnie yet. Because every time Hiroyuki Sanada is in something, he always has to pull out that samurai sword and he always has to fight someone with it. And it's fucking awesome. I think that's one of the main reasons why the last season of Lost was not good because you had Hiroyuki Sanada in there and he and, and he didn't you get to use that damn sword at all. And I'm like, that is a crime against humanity. And even though the fight was short and brief, it was a little bit more like Obi-Wan versus Maul. That fight between him and Donnie Yen was just oh it, it, it was perfect it was everything I could have asked for and more even had the minor characters like Mr. Nobody who was a cool presence in the film and yes. of course you have a John Wick movie you have to have a dog very yep. very, very cool dog uh and uh what's her name Rina Sawayama yes yes exactly yeah. as, as Sonata's daughter cool. Natalia Tena uh, Osha from Game of Thrones was in there like this one had a lot it, 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 it had a lot it but, was uh, Donnie Yen was definitely my favorite part Absolutely. I was like hmm, hmm, I, I would yep. I wouldn't mind seeing a spin-off movie about him and sure enough the post credit scene arrived and oh uh, and it was and that's like yep yep, that, that, yep. Like, I wouldn't S mind sign it. me up and, and also they've already announced the spin-off as well the Anna D'Armas spin-off Valerina as well but you know based off of you know the, the Roscova moment uh from the last one Angelica Houston also was a stand-in uh, as a celebrity stand-in for that one. I wanted to point out two things that this movie kind of pulled and poked fun of uh, from other franchises. This is the second Mr. Nobody 
in an action franchise after Kurt Russell's Mr. Nobody in, in the Fast and yeah. Furious movies. And this is the second time, at least in American cinema, that I've seen Donnie Yen play blind after after his appearance in uh, in Rogue One. And I just I did catch like, that as well. There were two little fun tidbits, and I'm like, yeah, they, these guys, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, and like, it, it's just, it's great. It's so. And awesome. We're gonna talk about it a bit later, but Donnie Yen is now my favorite. Fuck off, Sayer. Oh, oh man, we're gonna talk about that. I mean, <laughs> talk talk about what I what I heard that I'm like I'm like this is why Donnie Yen is the greatest. And I mean, even I gotta give a shout out to Bill Skarsgård. He played a great bad guy. He's just again so pretentious. He's the guy that the minute that he comes on screen, you're like, I can't wait to see Wick kill this guy, and I can't wait to see how he kills him. And just the way that he did it, it was just it was it was freaking great. You know, it was awesome. I I think one of the that is that is one of the best last minute reveal kill scenes where they're doing the duel, and, and he's like, you idiot. He's like, and, and the fact that it came from Ian McShane, he's like, he didn't shoot. About the time he realizes it, he pulls out the gun and kills. He's like, consequences, bam. And I'm like, yeah. It's funny. It's just that that I that, got that, a cheer as well. That, in yeah, my, that, in that's good. That's gonna go down in history as one of the greatest action one-liners, at least one of my favorites. Which is, you know, along with the uh, diplomatic immunity, has just been revoked. And uh, you know, and, and let that be a lesson to your witch ass. You know, just again, we we need more action one-liners back. We need them back. You know, we Mar Marvel kind of took that away from us for a while, but we're getting them back slowly. So let, let's hope that we can bring them back. Completely. Well, that just so, happened. Yes. It, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, that just happened. Oh man, but yeah, so yeah, so now now that now that John Wick is over, I mean, yeah, like I said, they they've said that they are open to the idea of spin-offs and sequels. You know, obviously with, with Donnie Yen and, and the and the Rena Samoyawa uh character, you know, they they've announced the, the ballerina spin-off with Anita Armas. But honestly, I mean, I don't know. I'm always skeptical about spin-offs just in general. You know, my whole thing is it's like as long as it's the same creative team, I'm okay with it. But I don't know if it will be, especially because Der uh Chad Stahelski has greatly expressed interest in uh, now that in Fin and once he was done with Wick in adapting a ghost of of uh, I believe I can't remember what the name of that video game is, but it's a uh, Ghost, Ghost of Tsushima Ghost. video game. He's been very adamant about adapting that as well. And like I said, I mean these guys they've been doing Wick for Stahelski as specifically. I know you know David Leach moved on and has been doing uh, his own thing since, and for the most part has had a lot of success with that. You know doing a lot of these uh, really big interesting franchise movies. But uh, Stahelski in general, you know I feel like it, it, this kind of all comes down to him. So like, what do you think? Um, What's it called? What What do you want to see next from these guys? Just in general, do you think that are you interested in more John Wick spinoffs? Do you think they should continue with these in general, or or, or leave or leave well enough alone? I think they should at least give it a go. You know, like one or two. They're gonna have the Continental. They're gonna have Ballerina, which you know, Ana de Armas is enough of a pull for yeah, people absolutely. to go out and see. Yeah, and at the uh, very least, they will about her acting. But at the very least, she proved in No Time to Die that she's got the action chops as well. Uh, yeah, I think that was a bit of a teaser of what we might yes. get but i think wick's gonna be a bit more brutal it does have that r rating uh if they if we do get that donnie yen versus uh rina sawayama movie oh, I'm, I'm i'm there day one absolutely uh, i just don't know how good it's gonna be without stahelski as the main guy because right. he's gonna be executive producer and all of these but having someone else there how much will that affect it uh as for stahelski himself i think I'm always excited to see what uh, directors do when they do leave a franchise or go out and try something new. Like like when James Gunn, he went from Marvel to DC. I was very excited to see what he does with that. And look where that yeah, got look, him. Look where that went. Yeah, exactly. A, a yeah, exactly. James Gunn tweeting like some bad jokes like 10 years ago leads to him being the head of DC. Yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly talk, talk about failing upwards for sure. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to see what uh, Stahelski does with Ghost of Tsushima. I haven't played it, but I've seen glimpses of it. It's a very cinematic game and 
John Wick always looks very cinematic, very neon colors. And, and I think he's going to, if he gets that cinematographer to work with him or, or whatever, things going to look great. Uh, see what he can do with like a full samurai setting. Like John Wick has so samurai, like, I don't know, hints, yeah. but uh, yeah. I'm, I just hope they let him do what he wants and yeah. make it his own. But not, not so much that it's just John Wick with Miss Samurai. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So with that being said, before we move on to succession, uh, like I said, final thoughts to Star Raiders. And then, like I said, so of, of all the action set pieces that we have in this movie, which let's count it down. So we have the opening scene with the desert. We have got the, um, what's it called? We've got the entire uh, Japan sequence at the uh, at the Osaka Continental and everything there. We've got the, um, what's it called? We've got the, the, German, uh, the German club sequence. We have the attempts to, we, we have the entire Paris attack sequence at the attempt to get up the stairs. And then we have the final duel of those five. What is your number one of the movie? I think we can maybe even differentiate like some of the Paris segments because right. it goes on for the so ex- long. The, the Paris yeah. segment that was that was the definitely the moment where I, I, again I, you mentioned above that it, that it went smoothly by. I am inclined to agree for the most part, but that Paris segment specifically that that definitely stretched a lot. But it did have that really cool moment where the camera goes above the ca- his when head. the camera is going above it, and it's going above all the different yeah. stats. And yeah, that was that was badass. That was all. I think I think that would have to be it for me. Uh, absolutely, because I'm just looking at that cinematography. I'm like I'm just looking at that. And I'm like, how the fuck. Do these guys top it every single time? I'm like, I need to know how they pull that off, camera wise. That is nuts. No, but for for me, it has to be the stairs. Like when he started rolling down, my theater <laughs> when, and was he does the whole exploding. Stunt, and it's the one take, and he goes down. How many of those stairs? Like I, I lost Too track. Many. I'm like, what is that? Like eight flights of stairs, something like that. Oh, but then my, my entire theater was absolutely laughing at. We that, were, we that. were, we yeah. My entire theater and, like, lost. John Wick's been theater. getting beat up the whole movie. He jumped out of a window like three minutes ago, landed yep. on the van. Yep. Did he know the van was there? <laughs> Who he knows? Probably, and he, he landed probably. on it head first. It's not even like he's fucking. It, it's not even i'm like there was a point where i'm like this is almost getting to fast and furious levels where i'm like he literally fell off four stories and landed head first on the van and just gets up and walks away i'm like he's literally superhuman like this is insane yeah it's the stairs for me yeah it's gotta be yeah and then your final thoughts and star ratings on john wick chapter four uh final thoughts my favorite of the year i think it will remain in my i'm gonna be optimistic and say top five of the year i think oppenheimer mission impossible yep and dune are are gonna and Spider-Verse, probably. And Spider-Verse, I think. yeah. Those, and Indy 5, probably not, but yeah, I think it'd be good. I think if it remains in the top five, I'll be very happy. Uh, four and a half stars for me. Not quite a five, uh, but yeah. The first three are low fours for me. So I think that this is like a mid 4.5 for me. I think that's a really good improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me, it's a four. Uh, it's a solid four. Like I said, these movies, like I said, it, it, none, none of them really have yet, to, none of these sequels really have yet to top the first one, which still, like I said, has the best and most compelling story. But as far as just being like a perfect send off and like just for really just for the for a potential final entry, just going all out, like absolutely pro- kudos, props off. Like I said, just from a craft standpoint, these movies do it unlike any other. So my hat always goes off to it. So now let's go to another thing. That you watched recently. Then again, D- Dustin, Dustin the twice. Duster Mason, d- twice. Wow, that's that's amazing. Dustin the Duster Mason and I recapped every episode of Succession's third season, when that was airing back in the fall of 2021, and now it is back. And for the fourth and final time, we're here to talk and give a little preview about Succession season 
for also the first time that we've done a full podcast episode on this show. And I mean, like, I, I we've talked about this with Barry. Like I said, it really, when these two shows premiered back in 2018, I came to Succession a little bit later. Barry, I was into, like, immediately right off the bat. But Succession... I'm enjoying Barry. It's Yeah, it's, it's so, so good, far. right? It's so good. Uh, but but Succession was a show that I was into, like, right off the bat, right off the cusp where I'm like, where I'm like, what was sorry? Succession was one I came to a little bit later because I remember seeing the production names. I remember seeing watching the trailer, and I'm like, I wasn't exactly sure if this was going to be something that interested me, but but it took Dustin pushing me to watch it, and I finally watched it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this this is great. This is this is one of the best shows ever. It's just again, do it. Jesse Armstrong comes from the Armando Iannucci train of of British writing, and he came over to, over to America and pitched this show right off of Veep, and was like, yeah, what if we basically took a British look, a, a British satirical look essentially, at, 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 at satirizing an American uh, corporation family, specifically with his take uh, down of the Murdochs and also, you know, model it around kind of this, you know, this Game of Thrones as structure of all of these, uh, all of these dipshit kids battling it out for their, for their, fa- for their aging legacy father's uh, throne. Only their father is possibly one of the most evil people on the, on the planet in the form of the Roys. And like I said, we, we, we were waiting with bated breath throughout the pandemic for it to come back after that gangbusters of a season two from, uh, finale. And then it came back for nine episodes of just absolute gloriousness. I know a couple people were like criticizing the third season. I'm like, you people are morons. Like you, you don't understand just like the grand overall set piece. And after the, another gangbusters finale that really came out of nowhere with, with Logan's decision to sell the company to, uh, you know, to Matson Alexander Skarsgård's character and box out his children out, out of the, out of their fortune. It was setting up for always going to be a fourth season, but the question was always going to be whether or not this was going to be the last season or the penultimate season. And so, um, I, I was hoping that we were going to get one more season after this one, but unfortunately it proved to be true. Jesse Armstrong announced just a few weeks before the, uh, just a few weeks before the season four premiere that this would indeed be the last season. So Luke, we haven't actually gotten a chance to talk a whole lot about this show, just in general, what your thoughts are. So, so run down your thoughts uh, on succession as you're watching it. And then let me know what your thoughts are when you found out that this was going to be the last season. I was definitely late to the party on this one. I watched it sometime like the summer last year, I want to say, or the autumn or something. By then, all three seasons were out. Uh, and I just thought, wow, this this is just amazing. It's it's funny. It's amazingly well written. There's despicable characters. What's, what's not to love? Uh, yeah. And it quickly became one of my favorite shows. And then they announced that season four was coming in in, the, in, in March. So I thought, oh, Gotta rewatch it because might as well, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I did, and I appreciate it even more, especially season two, because I was able to follow everything a little better. But then when the final season was announced, I remember I it was like a few days ago. Jeremy Arms, uh, not him. Jeremy, uh, Jer- Jeremy, Jeremy Armstrong. Strong. <laughs> Jeremy, Str- Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong. Yeah. Uh, he he gave like an interview with someone. He said. And there was some implication that it might be the last season. It's like, okay, whatever, we'll brush it off. And I woke up one day and Twitter had exploded with reactions and gifts of sadness. Like, oh no, it is the last one. But yeah. I thought, well, if this is the last one, then then it, they, they've made a, a bold decision to go, go out on a high before it, 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 ha- it has a chance to stagnate. Uh, and and it's, it's on uh, Jesse... Jesse Armstrong. Jesse's Armstrong. Oh, that's all right. You got, you got the last name fixed. Uh, it doesn't help strong and Armstrong. It is very confusing. And I'll they give both you that. begin with J. It, uh, it doesn't help at all. Yeah. Uh, so it, he ends. He ended in us on his terms clearly. And apparently, he didn't. He didn't himself know that it was going to be the last season when yeah. they were doing it. Uh, 
it was something that he was grappling with for a while, for sure. Especially after season three and the direction that they took that in. It was definitely something where he was like, uh, do I want to do one more season? And I, he even talked about it in interviews. He was even like, yeah, there is a version where, again, I could just do like 10 straight seasons of the Roys and it would probably be great every time. But would that be the best? Again, it's like what we were talking about. It is best what's best for the story. And in this case, like I said, we always talk about in TV with the characters. I was talking about this with Yolo a little bit last week when we were talking about Ted Lasso and how this season, they haven't officially said it, but this season we can pretty Ted much Lasso tell that so this, this this is the last season as well. And, and and so, again, we I was talking about how, again, you have these three gigantic staples of TV that we've had for the last couple of years. Succession, Ted Lasso, and Barry all ending their uh, – all airing their final seasons all around the same time and kind of like – They how all they end with like five days. Within, within, within a week of each other. Right, right before the Emmy window. Exactly. Like, like they, they, they knew exactly what they were doing there, like as far as airing those shows. Like we we're my, my, And so the point that I made right last week is that we were living through a moment right now. We were living through a very, very specific moment that we should be savoring every single minute of because we are not going to see a moment like this again for a very, very long time because, like I said, after this, it's pretty much just – like I said, the fran- how the franchises have infected TV now, you know, with, with, with spinoffs and stuff. We'll still get good originals. But as far as, like like I said, us having, like, a big moment show like Succession and the fact that it was kind of able to come in and, like, scoop up, like, the last remnants of, of the Game of Thrones sphere. And, 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 like I said, how it has been able to capture the pop culture uh, status, you know, and... And, you know, like I said, with its very, very specific tone of being bitingly satirical and hilarious one minute and being just beyond dark and messed up and, and, and twisted, uh, you know, you know, uh, Shakespearean, uh, draconian, Shakespearean storytelling um, in the next, you know, again, it's, it's one of the best ensemble casts that TV has assembled in the last couple of years. Like I said, assembling a group of character actors that had been that have been working consistently for the last couple of years, you know, you know, McFadden from Pride and Prejudice and Nicholas Braun, who've been in countless different uh, movies from our youth, you know, Scott. I always think back that he's Zack Attack in Sky High. You know, Sarah Snook, who'd been acting in Australia TV. Kieran Culkin, you know, with, with, the, with, with the Culkin legacy around him. Jeremy Strong, who had just started popping up in all of these uh, in all of these recent things. Uh, you know, all, you know, Alan Rock, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day, all, all anchored by this one supreme force, again, who, again, had been in all of the, this legacy figure, had been acting forever, and had finally gotten a superstar role with Brian Cox, kind of kind of leading them off, and they all work so well together and complement each other so well, and like I said, Talk Talk could not be a more relevant show in terms of just giving the audience, like, a basic thing to root for as far as, like, okay, who's gonna ultimately overtake Logan? You know, will Logan ultimately be cowed, you know, while also providing the the, the commentary on, you know, kind of the, you know, how, how lofty and out of touch and just ultimately you know, narcissistic, just the rich are, and and ultimately how all of their illusions and, and and grand gestures about about wanting to help people out are ultimately meaningless, and and how they they really are only out for themselves. I I think the 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 like I said, the most tricky thing that this show had to overcome was ultimately straddling the line between not turning into another repetitive comedy ultimately because that was one criticism that they get was it's like oh my god is anybody ever going to beat logan it, we're just going to see kendall try and fall flat on his face over and over and over again but i think that how the show has branched out with all of its different characters and kind of how you've seen the cyclical effect of how you saw that happen with kendall then with shiv and now you're starting to see it happen with roman specifically with the last season of where it's like they get you know they they, they, they try to get close they, they fly too close to the sun they start to get their parents approval then 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 logan knocks him down ultimately you know you and also roman you know, sends a dick pic to his own dad exactly roman sends a dick pic to his dad which i don't even know how that's possible because because you know i don't even know how logan and how dad and jerry and your phone are, are are similar so so that, that so that was like now what happened was he was sending it to jerry the notification came up 
Oh, um, okay. He pressed it and he pressed send. Oh, and I guess, okay. I guess okay, the, okay, the okay. image transferred to that conversation. Got it. All right. All right. I don't right. have an iPhone, so I don't know if that. Uh, works, okay. But... Okay. That, that. Okay. No. That. That. That explains though. I don't have an iPhone either, so that. That. But that does make sense though. Ultimately, because I was always wondering. I'm like, because I knew that was the only moment where I'm like, I knew exactly what was gonna happen in that moment, and I'm like, okay, like, well, really, we're doing this, like, because again, as much as I love the show, there are always those moments where I'm like, okay, really, we're gonna resort to this, like, so something like kind of small and cheap like that, but it, it always manages to top itself in the next one. Like I said, the, the brilliant with, 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 with Shiv and Tom and ultimately Shiv finally being honest to Tom for the first time ever. And it was only because her mom made her mad ultimately. And just and the, the, all the ridiculousness that always goes on with Greg. I, I, I think the genius that they pulled off with cousin Greg is the fact that they posit him as the family doofus. But he's the only one with any morals, and he's the only one that actually, like, is always speaking common sense. And I always kind of take that for granted, but when you actually listen to what he's saying, you're like, no, this kid actually knows what he's talking about. And he actually is, like, the only one with any common sense. And, like, and, like his and Tom's dynamics and back and forth are, again, become a fan favorite and, and a highlight of the show. So I, I want you to pick for me before we wrap it up and get out of here. Your, your favorite character your favorite moment from the show, and a theory as to what's going to happen going into this final season. My favorite character is Tom. I think I share that with a lot of people. Uh, Greg, Greg's number two. Uh, my favorite Greg quote is, uh, if, it, if it is to be said, if it so, is it to be, be said. so it is. <laughs> so it is. I always said about this about Greg. He's, he's in the wrong place at the right time. Yes, exactly. Um, but uh, my favorite moment... Come piggies, get eat your sausages. Oh, more on the floor. More on the floor. More on the floor, um, and of course, of course. And I remember theory, seeing that and being the, like, "What the fuck is this?" And please do not let it stop. I need this to go on for as long as humanly possible, and it did. It went on for like what felt like twenty minutes. It was great. I would say that, and also the the shareholders meeting in season three, where Logan has a UTI, the and UTI, he's like imagining yeah. dead cats under his chair. Oh my whatever. god, it's so great. And a theory for season four, I think Roman's going to get it. You think Roman's going to get it? Yeah. But uh, my mom thinks Logan's going to keep it. In you the think end. Logan's going to keep it? Nothing's going to happen. That's what my mom and thinks. And it's just going to end with. with, with, with yeah. Well, the only reason why, like I said, is because like they, they can't end it on that note because they can't just have it like everything stays the same. Like, like they, they got to have like a little something. Yeah extra as well yeah. you know where I, it's like, I think roman gets it yeah where where like you know ultimately like what like waystar ends up like getting completely bought out you know they end up like defeating mattson but then there's like there's one ultimately my prediction is that logan's gonna die my, my prediction is that is what what will happen logan is finally gonna die and i think that uh i i think that tom ultimately is gonna get screwed over unfortunately which sucks because last season was such like a steady progressive build to tom finally having this awesome apex moment and it sucks because like i said tom is one of the best characters on the show and it's funny because i remember when I made initially my back in 2021 my top 10 favorite succession characters I initially put Kendall as the number one best character on the show and I still stand by that statement but I think that my favorite has got to be Roman because it's just like there's no character who I've had a harder turnaround on where there is no character who again just every single line that he just throws off the cuff it just it always completely hits and 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 like and, you know which also ties into Roman's history uh, you know Culkin's history as a child actor and also um, where I've never had a character that I hated more 
that then turned into somebody who I just could not help but feeling bad for. Where again, just all the youngest sibling dynamics where he's always acting out, always trying to get daddy's approval because he ultimately is just like really psychologically scarred ultimately because he just got really apparently brutalized if half the stuff that he said about his childhood is true, you know? So yeah, it, it, it's Roman, it's Karen Culkin. Uh, you know, M McFadden absolutely deserved the Emmy last year and I'm glad that he won it, but I'm, I'm really rooting for Culkin to get it this year. I really am above all else. So yeah, so that that that's it. That is our recap. Let, that, let me ask you actually some, oh, yeah, some yeah, things about season four. Uh, yes. Based on the trailers, what are what are some moments that you are looking forward to? Connor's wedding, definitely, uh, because his, his and Willa's uh, merit wedding is happening this season, and they're doing it early, too. It's only uh, going to be episode three, and I'm looking forward to just whatever ridiculous encounters happen between him and the Justin Kirk character. I'm looking forward to seeing just what exactly the, the siblings are able to come up with and uh, in terms of, like, their plan to, to take down Logan and Matson, um, as, as far as, uh, you know, rallying with Sandy and Stewie and the Pierces and all of their previous, uh, you know, uh, again, all of their previous uh, people that they've met. I'm interested to see if Kendall's relationship with Naomi, which was kind of put on the back burner in the last season, whether that's going to last, you know, because Naomi was a really awesome character introduced in season two, and I want her to, uh, you know, to have more of an impressive part. Um, What else? What else? What else? I'm interested to see if Greg's pending lawsuit against Greenpeace, if he's still <laughs> planning on going through with that, because that was just uh, one I'm of the most... Greenpeace? Uh, it's like, um... I have, uh, I've, 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 my, my grandpa sold my... my, my gave away my inheritance to Greenpeace so I'm going to sue Greenpeace that is just one of the most amazing things I think I've ever seen in anything and mostly I'm interested to see if Roman is able to actually pull one over because because the thing about Roman is that he's always like this close to actually pulling off deals. It's unlike Kendall, because Kendall's always the one that everyone's expecting to, but then falls flat on his face. But Roman is the guy who, like, nobody expects anything from. So when he does pull something off, like, you know, telling Logan that the, that the, uh, that the Azerbaijani uh, merger was complete horseshit and that they had nothing, and also... Be, you know, making the decision to ultimately axe Balter when they were planning on, uh, when they were planning to unionize in season two and ultimately being the one to convince Axton uh, to come into the company. You know, Roman's always been like that, that subtle, sneaky, silent player. So even though I don't necessarily know if he's going to take back the company, I would be interested to see um, if, if he actually does get the CEO position because he has proven, I think, that of all of his siblings, he is the one that is definitely the most competent. And uh, yeah, like I said, just, just more Tom and Greg moments because you, you can never have enough Tom and Greg moments on this show. You know, that that's what I'm looking forward to the most. You know, I'm also interested to see if Kendall does take a seat back from being like one of the main players and, and becomes more a part of the ensemble. I think that's also necessary as well. I have two judging from the trailers that really stuck out to me. One was Roman having like a SWAT raid in the streets, ah! like like his hands out like this, yeah. like like what what is what is that happening? Yeah. And I, but I think my number one scene that I'm looking forward to is the is the Tom and Shiv fight. Yes, I think absolutely. that's going to be an all timer. Some Emmys are going to be won there. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. It's going to be like ten minutes of yelling at each other. Yes, and I know the writing's going to be amazing. It's going to be, oh. Yeah, I can't uh, wait. I can't wait. Yep. So like I said, so 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 when you listen to this, so guys, when you listen to this episode tomorrow on Spotify, let us know if any of our theories that we posited about this premiere episode uh tonight or last night as to when this episode drops were true. Be sure to follow Luke with everything he's got going on at Luke Reviews. Luke, thanks once again for coming on. You are the man as always. And with that being said, that is it for double feature month. March Madness is over. We will be back next week for Dungeons and Dragons as well as um, what's it called? We, like I said, which will be a little bit more of a calm, cool, collective week before we get into the fun that is 
April. I'm still wondering if I'm going to have a theme name for April. Like I said, be sure to keep coming back for everything that the Talking TV podcast has going on. Follow Luke and Luke Reviews. Follow myself at Movie Nerd Reviews at Official Talking TV Podcast. Subscribe to us if you're watching us on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify. All that good stuff. 12 seasons in a short film. And watch more fucking movies. We will see you guys next time. 